You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Welcome, everybody, one and all, halflings, orcs, lizards, fucking blueberry muffin people. I already dropped the first F-bomb, so we can't swear for the rest of the episode. I've saved everybody. Come on, Jake. Welcome to episode 24 of the 3DMs podcast. Uh, we we got a pretty good show lined up today. Uh, I was made to look like a jerk immediately after last week's show, wherever they went wrong, because uh, they released news about a new setting book, and I said, a setting book isn't going to happen on last week's show. So I look like an idiot. Uh, we're also going to talk about a great Warforged uh uh, Warforged homebrew that we found, and last but not certainly not least, and what we're going to lead off with, uh, sitting in studio with us today, we have Luke, who runs the YouTube channel, The DM Lair. Luke, snaps and claps, everybody. Woo. I'm the only one who can. I, I can't snap. snap. I can't. Oh, snap. I, I, that's I keep, disappointing. I keep throwing you guys under the bus like yeah, that. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, we're peasants. Jake wants to make fun of us. Fine. Wow. Cower, Neil. I'll, I'll remember this. So, Luke, thanks for making the drive down from yeah, Lansing. Yeah, no man. Yeah, it's a you know in the great state of Michigan. Uh, where on the hand are you? <laughs> uh, which hand do I use again? Oh, uh, facing the camera. Uh, camera's so. that there way, so this way. <laughs> <laughs> I use this one? All right, yeah. 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 All right, there you go. Here-ish. Fun. Something like that. Works yeah. for me. Uh, and Not also, here. it's uh, you know, it's a lovely time of year. Uh, the state flower, the orange construction barrel, is in bloom as they do the three months of tearing up every road we have and ruining the highways. So thanks for being here. And remember, me. if you look out close, close outside, you can see our state bird, the pothole. Yes. <laughs> um. I think it's our state reptile, but no, no, state reptile is the uh, Michigan alligator, which people like to confuse with a shredded semi-tire. <laughs> <laughs> seen some of those, uh, but yeah, thanks for making the treacherous yeah, drive down. Yeah, English, unique New York. Anyways, so uh, we got you on the show here, and uh, so a few weeks ago, I was perusing uh, the fifth edition group, or maybe maybe it was like about a month ago. I was perusing the group, and I saw your videos. And immediately went to your YouTube and subscribed on one of my, like, six YouTube accounts. And, <laughs> yeah, because I have a plethora for whatever reason. And uh, watch your content. You are now up to, we did the rough count, uh, just just a hair under 80 yeah. videos. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, for sure. So, Luke, tell us about your channel. Pitch your channel. All right, sweet. So it's the DM layer. Uh, it's just, you know, YouTube, backslash, forward slash, whatever, the DM layer. And then I'm on Facebook, the DM layer, Twitter, freaking Instagram, all that bull crap. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So um, basically what I do is like I – my goal, my mission is to help DMs 
run awesome games. That's kind of what I do. So yeah. like what I like to do is just like tips, tricks, stuff like that. Um, I like to take, I mean, I'm doing more of this. I've done like one or two videos like this, but I like to go behind the scenes of like actually walking through how I prep a game, you know, how I prep an adventure or something. Um, I'm planning on doing stuff like NPCs and crap like that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. what I'm trying to, my whole goal is just to help DMs run awesome games, you know, because I think especially, especially new DMs getting into it and stuff like that, you know, I want there to be like cool resources and stuff out there for them. And I want, I want them to be able to watch videos that aren't like dead boring too. And so I'm trying to do stuff on there that you normally don't see on YouTube. Like usually YouTube is like framed dead center here. I'm going to talk to the camera for like 10 to 40 minutes. You know what I'm saying? You're going to listen to me rant about this topic for half an hour. Yeah. YouTube is great for teaching people how to do things with instruction videos. So I'm surprised and glad that all of you've started doing that now, honestly. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, no, and that uh, one of the things that immediately caught me too with your videos is you have really good production. Like your editing oh, you. is crisp Thanks, because man. I, as a person who's like, okay, let's try to make a couple of supplemental videos, like talking at the camera is fine. But then the second I, uh, you know, get to the editing part, I just yeah. like, it's fine for 10 minutes and then something goes wrong. And then I just like, I throw a headset or something and I'm just, I'm out, I'm, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. It's not happening. It's not going to see the light of day. It's horrible. I hate it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We might need yeah. some lessons from you. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's funny you say that because one of the reasons I wanted to do YouTube videos was I was, I saw other YouTubers doing it. I'm like, they have lots of good information and stuff. I like these guys. You know what I mean? But I'm like, I can freaking, I do some like video stuff as part of my normal job. And I'm like, I can freaking do pretty, pretty awesome video here with editing, like real editing and stuff and like boil this stuff down to like most of my videos I think are between six and 10 minutes. I don't think anything tops 10 minutes, you know? So I, that's, that's my thing too. I like, I like editing. I like doing cool stuff. I like to make things snappy. I do stuff with sound, like jump cuts and all that kind of crap. You know what I mean? So my goal, my, my hope is that the videos are entertaining enough with my stupid faces and my dumb remarks that in addition to getting useful information, you're also being maybe a little entertained. And so I just do stupid stuff, make stupid faces. You know what I mean? That's just part of the, the part of the shtick, you know? That's understandable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's go back in time. Let's turn back the uh, you know the turn clock. back the clock, so to speak. Uh, when did you start playing Dungeons and Dragons, and when did you start DMing? All right, Dungeons and Dragons. So I started playing Hero Quest with my brother. Ooh, I still have that freaking game, and I've actually started painting the minis for it. So he and I started playing, but it was one of those things where I like. I'm like, hey, play HeroQuest. And he's like, play the game of life with me in exchange for this. I'm like, that's bullcrap. And it's a horrible game, by the way. Yeah. We started with that. And then I started reading Ari Salvatore's like Drist books, you know, like back in the day, Streams of Silver was the first one. I love that book. I read that stuff. And then my grandma was taking me to like some used book place or something. And I found this like pl- second edition player handbook. And I'm like, what the hell? What, what is this? Right. And so I take this thing home. I start reading. It. I'm like, this is a game. You can like play like freaking Forgotten Realms crap in a game. And I'm like, this is awesome. I'm like, brother. Come, we're going to play this. I'm like, play Game of Life with me. I'm like, oh, this is stupid. So anyway, <laughs> I started playing with him, right? And it was kind of like this love-hate thing. You know, I'm like, I love this game. But eventually I moved on to like some friends from high school, yeah. you know, and got some other people involved. And we did that for a couple of years. As and is then- tradition. Yeah, exactly. We did that for a while and I was always the DM. I was the guy that like got other people together and I'm like, we're playing this game, you know? And so I started off as a DM, always been a DM. I've always been a DM when, and then high school stopped, go to college and crap like that, went to U of M. And then I didn't play it at all during college. And I think it was after I graduated, I had like some bookstore job, like post-graduation bullcrap job. And 
I, I, one of the guys and I, he played D&D &D too, and we started talking and crap like that, and, and I was like, yeah, this armor class system is bullcrap, because, like, the heavier armor you're wearing, it should be easier to hit you, not harder. Like, it should be a damage reduction bullcrap, and I was thinking second edition stuff, you yeah. know? And so, like, to prove my point that I could make, like, a better system, which I don't think I did, but that was my goal, I was like, I got some friends together, I'm like, let's play D&D, &D, and I'm making a little tweak to things. And so we played for, like, about a year and a half or something, and then I ended up moving down to Central America, where I, where I met my wife, by the way, and then I, I took her home with me, moved down there, and I started playing like play by like forum play, like a play by post thing for yeah, like, play by post. like a few years or so. I was mostly a dungeon master there. I, the, I think the site is shut down now, but I like won DM of the year award and some bullcrap because I'm also a writer. Like I studied writing in college and crap like that. And so like I'm a play by post on forum. I'm like, I'm like freaking writing novels here. You know what I mean? And so they're like, this guy's an awesome DM. I'm just writing, you know? So I did that for a while and then I moved back to the States and I, I didn't play DM for D and D for a while. And then one of my friends, Joe uh, invited me to his group to play. I started playing with those guys as a player. Right. And then, and then it kind of like sparked again within me this like desire to do this stuff. I started playing. I started playing fifth edition with my daughter first off, right? Like I'm like roping her in to play this stuff, and she got to like almost tenth level or something. We did a lot of crap. It was really cool. But then I'm like, I need to like, and I was starting to gather like miniatures. Like I have crap loads of miniatures, and I kept buying more. My wife is like, every time my wife is like, what do you want for birthday, Father's Day, Christmas? I'm like, buy me minis. And she's like, you have freaking tackle boxes full of minis, and you haven't painted them yet. I've been there. Paint the ones that you have. But and it's so then, much easier to buy new ones. But I need more. Level. Yeah, I know. It's like, uh, well, they're going to fight beholders or mind flayers. I don't have any. I have to buy some. Yeah. You know? You so, can never have too many minis. Yeah. So I, with all the miniatures, I'm like, I got to get some adults to play with. And so I just gathered together a couple gaming groups, uh, mostly through the LFG subreddit over on Reddit. I mean, that was awesome. I got like, I got like two full groups together within like a month or two. And then I play, I started playing every single weekend, you know, alternating with the two groups and have just been DMing since then. Now I've built on to, I have a group uh, at work I play with uh, on Thursdays, uh, the Wonder Panda campaign. They're all, they all play panda bears, except for one of them who's like a freaking uh, koala bear who thinks he's a panda bear, some bull crap. And then um, I play, I, I DM for four kids too. They're like ages 10 to 12 or something like that. I call it my youngling campaign. So we do that roughly once a month or Not something, the younglings, you know, exactly. so yeah. So now I'm like running four different groups and it's except for one of them, they're all homebrew. So that means that I'm like making crap loads of like adventures and stuff. And since I'm a writer, they mostly resemble like a, a third draft of a published module. You know what I mean? Like it's legitimate, yeah. like hardcore planning and crap, you know? Yeah. So. As opposed to the wing it strategy. No, I do. I, gaming. so I am not a winger. I, I, I'm good at it. I can improv along with the best of them. But I mean, the, when I think it through and I really, you know, make something and develop it, I, I feel at least from my way of DMing, right. That the in quality is better. I know some people wing it. Right. And that's totally legitimate. If that's your thing. Oh you know no, you, you should see the way I DM uh, <laughs> pre prepping my campaign. It was okay. This is the name what of the, the races do. <laughs> this is the name of the kingdom. Here are names for a couple cities. Here's name of important officials. Go. That was that and just a brief, hey, let's try to throw this hook in there. Which oh, somehow work. managed to run for 13 hours. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so uh, as it relates to 5e, so what do you, uh, you know, not to put a, you know, pick a favorite or anything, but if you, out of all editions that you played, because mm -hmm. you've run the gamut, I know uh, Paul, myself, and Nacho have all run the gamut and played everything. The only edition I haven't played is AD&D, which is weird. That, that's how I learned how to read. Like, I, I tried to play AD&D, and I just, I couldn't <laughs> get into any groups. Every time I got into a group just to try it out, like, they'd all fall apart. Uh, how do you feel about 5e? Uh, is it your favorite? Is it your least favorite? Is it somewhere in the middle? How yeah. Do you, 
Yeah, so I played second edition, and then I played three five, and then I played five e. I, I dabbled in Pathfinder for like three sessions, and that was a bunch of crap. So come on, uh, yeah. So fifth edition is hands down my favorite, and it's probably my favorite because I mostly don't remember second edition and three point five a whole lot. But what I love That's about fifth edition is that it is so they've streamlined the rules to such an extent with that you can just it doesn't get in the way of the game, so to speak. Like when I was playing Pathfinder, it was like you got like a freaking f- table full of tomes, right? That you're like, where's this rule? And you're looking crap up. And how does this spell work? And like the description so freaking long. And I think three five was like that to an extent as well. Oh, you're giving no. me yeah. Vietnam flashbacks. Yeah, here, here. Here's <laughs> a uh, here's a fun fact. We pulled it up yesterday to blow our buddy's mind. Uh, we we actually counted the uh, three five books. There were seventy five, not counting Officially the uh, advent- published books. not yeah. counting the adventures and modules. Yeah. So you have about as many videos as there are three five books. Nice, awesome, awesome. <laughs> you just exceeded it. Oh, really? So, Sweet, yes. awesome. So I'm onto something. It, 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 it's <laughs> about the same if you count the modules, but well, yeah. But, not but for official that. rule books, yeah, you, you've beat that. Yeah, I, I have most of the three five official rule books actually as um, totally legal PDFs on my computer. I assure you. Completely legal. Yes, absolutely. Purchased from absolutely honest dealership. Absolutely. I would never do anything otherwise. And we can't condone piracy here no, on 3DM. No, absolutely so. not. Um, so when it comes to running games and, you know, it's interesting that you say you got this, uh, you know, this background in both writing and, uh, you know, you're very particular in the way you prepare your campaigns. Uh, what is, uh, just to wrap up here a little bit, uh, what is your favorite monster to pull? My favorite monster to pull? Like, yeah. what is the one oh, thing where it's like, oh, I've set it up, everything's in place, uh-huh. you know, and you're just like, yeah, uh-huh. giddy, be it a villain or just be it like, because every time I get to use owl bears, which only yeah. happen, like, I'm upset in the current campaign that I'm running with these clowns. There's no reason to use owl they're, bears. Yeah, they're in the middle of a city that is like, uh-huh. there should not be an owl bear. I'm going to get an owl bear in there somehow while you're still in level range for owl bear to be scary. But, owl bear don't care. So I, I think that, you know, I think that. Probably it's going to be a mind flare, and I'll tell you why. So I had one of my players, Dunkel. That's not his real name. That's his. It's, I, I call all my players by their in-game names. By the way, I, I sometimes forget their real names. Actually, um, so one of my players, Dunkel, once was going against a mind flare, and somehow he got separated from the rest of the group, not by his own desi- desire, because my players are smarter than to split the party in my games. Um, but he got separated somehow, and he was going toe to toe with a mind flare, and the freaking thing had its tentacles around his head. And in fifth edition, when your mind flare has you grappled, you were stunned. Period. End of story. No saves, it's done, right? And so the Mind Flayer was digging its tentacles in to go for his brain or something. And I think I was that close to like sucking his brains out, right? And I had him like at the table freaking out like a little girl, okay? And at that point, I was like, Mind Flayers are awesome. And that was like, I was about a year ago. And now that's my, that's my Madison Victus group, who was at the time Hand of Light. And now they just got done going through an entire freaking meteorite full of Mind Flayers and fighting an elder brain. And I think the reason that I chose to do that was because that player he's no longer Dunkel he's now Dawn his because Dunkel died and then his sister came along Dawn but anyway uh because I got him to like you know basically scream like a schoolgirl I'm like we're gonna have a whole meteorite full of freaking mind flayers you know and we're just gonna throw them at him and it's gonna be awesome I've been there <laughs> yeah my barbarian has suffered that nightmare that is having your brain sucked out but he's, luckily he survived barely survived it was <laughs> somehow yeah in, like in what three was... five hit points yeah, no, you were you were five hit points away from uh, dying to a 
what was it, an ultralit? Ultralit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those the, are awesome. It died of starvation. Well, it yeah. died of starvation because it, it got the it got a crit on its tentacle attack. Yes, oh, okay. just, on just its like brain that eating co- attack. And I was like, <laughs> this is gonna suck. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah, just like that koala, my halfling barbarian thought he was an orc. Mm. Nice. nice. And uh yeah, no, and it latched onto poor sweet Nacho's little head and left him with like five HP and everyone in the room was like Oh damn! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my players don't know this, but I took all of the mind flayers and I made them basically the ultra lifts or whatever they are with spell casting abilities. Yeah, I'm like this. I'm like my players are, have so many like they're powerful enough, you know. I'm like I'm just gonna freaking give everybody like up to like level seven spells or some bull crap and just throw crap at them. Oof. And, well, and, and they were better, uh, oh, it was like. I, they, they were on the precipice of being destroyed by mind flayers so many times, you know. So I'm, I'm sure they're all satisfied that that meteorite is done. And last night I introduced them to a second meteorite hovering over the coast of Waterdeep that they need to take on. So they're all happy for that, I'm sure. Oh, all right. definitely. And final question. What is your proudest moment as a DM? My proudest moment as a DM? You know, I, I think – the the moments I think I'm most proud of is like when I actually have like a really crappy session and like feel really bad about it and stuff. And then maybe I think maybe sometimes my players like sense that I felt that I had failed them or something didn't go right. And then I'll get like freaking emails from them, you know, where they're like, dude, you know, they'll just basically talk about what the game means to them. I mean, one of them, I mean, some of them have said it in, in, in person in the game too, you know, not necessarily to me, but, and it's not very often, right? Because like grown men don't usually like talk about that stuff, you know, yeah. but when, when someone expresses to you, like, you know, this is one of the things that helps get me through my week playing this game that's with all you guys. Feeling. And that's not necessarily a credit hundred percent to me. Obviously there's a whole bunch of people at the table and we're all contributing to that game environment. You know what I mean? But like part of that is what I'm doing too. And so that's just a moment where you're just like, yeah, hell yeah. That's why I'm doing this. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's like helping people. It's getting them through things. You're providing inner. I mean, one of the great things about being a DM is that you are providing entertainment to an entire group of people, right? It's like five or six hours. I used to play for eight hour sessions, like all the time, you know, until I was like, my players were like, not know how to go. And I'm like, this is, I got to stop. You know, this is like too long. But like when you were providing that much entertainment to somebody every single week, you know what I mean? That's awesome. You know what I mean? Somebody that can do that and have like slow turnover rate for your players and they keep coming back, you know, and then when they miss a session, they're like, dude, I'm sorry. And they'll tell you like a week in advance, dude, I'm sorry. But like, you know, my daughter has a recital and I can't come, you know, is that okay? You know, or something like that. And it is, but you know, so I think, I think those are the things I probably think of about my proudest moments, you know? I I do have one quick follow-up question. What's it like getting that week in advance? notice that people won't show up yeah because i always uh <laughs> we, we we always find out what 30 seconds before the game yeah start. like yeah. i'm literally leaving my house to go meet up at uh-huh. the at the lair where we all uh you know hang out and it's somebody not gonna say it's clint <laughs> but it's usually clint because <laughs> he's a busy boy uh is just like yeah i can't today man or i'm gonna be like three hours late and it's just like all right so I think – so in, interesting enough, um, despite being as creative as I am and all that bull crap, I'm also extremely like logistically and analytically minded. And so handling the the – getting everybody together and handling schedules and scheduling things and all that kind of crap and then finding new players and stuff when I need new players, this is all something I'm pretty good at as well. And so my players just know that like you know we're going to have fun and we're going to bull crap and all that kind of stuff. But if you do a no-call, no no-show enough times, you're probably going to be asked to leave the game. I had to do that once. 
once. The guy was, he was just having some like personal stuff. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, that's cool, dude. You know, but if you can't show up consistently, then, you know, I have a wait list, right? I have on-call players that want to join my games. So it's like, if you're not there and you're like hit and miss, like it's not respectful to the other people that I told that, hey, dude, if a spot opens up, you know what I mean? So like, I, how, why would I reserve a spot for you? So I think my players like, I don't know. They probably know that, like, you know, this is, like, it's, like, a serious game, but, like, a not serious game. Like, if you watch our the actual play crap that I put out there, I mean, we're not, we're serious about playing it, but we're also, like, joking around having fun. So I think they just know that, hey, you know what? And, and the, other, the other thing is, is that anytime somebody says, hey, I'm not going to be there, I'm always like, hey, that's no problem, dude. Thanks for letting me know. It's about having that positive, like, you know, communication and stuff and just being positive about it, you know what I mean? And not getting all pissy, you know what I mean, when somebody yeah. can't make it, you know? So they all know that Luke's cool. We'll just let them know I have vacation or some bull crap and yeah. And then let them know and I'll show up. So it, I mean, it works really well. Yeah. For us, it's mostly just, oh, work really picked up and I'm not getting out at this time. I'm getting out three hours later. It's, it's like the yeah. unpredictable well, schedules. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We live in that nightmare. All right. So service industry, we're going to move on to our next bit. But first, we have to take a pause for the cause. We got to plug everything we got to plug here at the studio. So first of all, we record out of the podcast Detroit studios in Royal Oak. If you are in the southeastern Michigan area, we've got uh, we got another studio open up too. We got a I, it's somewhere in Detroit. I'll get the exact information so I can plug that next week. Uh, but we got a third studio opening up. But if you're anywhere in the southeastern Michigan area, you want to start your own podcast. It's super easy, super affordable, great studios, very comfortable. Great bar, great alcohol selection, free, uh, free uh, super affordable, easy to get into. If you're in the southeastern Michigan area, come check out Podcast Detroit if you want to start your own podcast. Now, on to our uh, paid sponsor that we have this month here at Podcast Detroit. This is for when you need help getting all those extra miniatures. Yes. <laughs> this is for all of you who have a miniature problem. If you can't seem to stay ahead of your bills, then this message is for you. Would you like to have a large portion of your credit card debt? Uh oh, my 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 script jumped. Oh God, I'm lost. Hang on, we're gonna we're gonna start that. Large portion of credit card debt, you say? Where can I sign up? A large portion of credit card debt, medical bills, and department store debt forgiven. National Credit Relief would like to give you. Free information on a proven debt forgiveness program. This program has been used by thousands to legally forgive millions in unsecured debt. It's not bankruptcy. It's not consolidation. The special program actually wipes clean a portion of your debt that is forgiven from what you owe your creditors. Call for free information and get all your questions answered in the first call free. The more you owe, the more you can save. If you have at least $10,000 or more in credit card bills, this debt forgiveness program can be very effective. Script jump again. Hang on. <laughs> uh, Tell me more. I'm listening. What number do I call? What site do I go to? Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's hard to do this when I'm laughing. Uh, 10,000 more. And, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yep, call for free information and find out more. 1-800-218-7170. There is no cost or obligation for the information. Don't wait. Call 1-800-218-7170. That's 1-800-218-7170. Get your debt problem solved. Call 1-800-218-7170 today. All right. I'm hearing that in my dreams tonight. Oh, yeah. No, I, I had somebody <laughs> ask. Uh, um, real quick, we do have a couple questions. All right. Yeah. Let's throw them out there. Uh, Sonny P. Sonny P. <laughs> Sorry, I can't English. <laughs> asks, English do you feel hard. that 5e is much more DM friendly thinking of rule ridders and that the DM can do more of tweaking of the rules? Yeah. So far, it seems like it's really flexible. 
most of us, we haven't had any issues. If we hit a situation where we really don't know what to do, we're like, you know what? You can this, wing it. This seems fun. Let's do it this way. What about you, Luke? What yeah. do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, fifth edition. So I think it covers a lot of the basics. You know, very rarely have I had to come up with like a specific ruling on something. You know what I mean? Um, but the rule, it's very rules light. You know, what I love about it is I love the advantage disadvantage thing. Like that is so much freaking better than sitting here. Well, it's a plus two because I'm behind cover. I get a plus two, a negative five, and all this bull crap. You know what I mean? And then you're adding stack of modifiers. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just advantage disadvantage end of story. You know, and so I like it a lot. Um, Yeah, you don't need a PhD in in math to do it anymore. Exactly. Yeah, totally. All right, and then we'll direct this one to you as well, Luke, because you focus on helping DMs, and that is a wall of text, Nacho. It's all you. I just did my reading. (laughs) You want me to read this okay, one? Uh, Thomas Jr. asked, uh, well, I ran my first game today, a one-on-one that was ending with a prison escape. Sadly, I had to end it just as the player, an elf ranger, woke up in the cell. But what I'm stuck with now is a few clever ways for him to escape. I have it that there's a secret door in the warden. I really hope he's not watching. <laughs> I hope he is. Ears. I, I have it that there's a secret door in the warden's bathroom, but other than that or the main door, I don't know how else he'll escape. There are other prisoners in other cells, and he has an ally in the cell with him. But I can't think of any other cool things to do. All right, so this is how I usually here. Since there's a wall of text, I'll oh, yeah, well, give that to you so you can reference the. That's uh, awesome. Parts. So, so what I usually do for a situation like I usually have at least one objective answer that I know there's a way out of given adventure, right? And you can make that be whatever you want. The other way I usually approach this is. Um, a lot of times it's, well, you have a one-on-one, but if you had like a group of people at the table, a lot of times as they're discussing what to try, they will give you an answer, yeah. right? Like they'll say, here are five different options and you just listen to them quietly as a DM, pay attention, and then you pick one of them and that's the answer. And then, well, then you just let them try those the things time. and then one of them works. And as long as you have your poker face on and you pull it off properly, they have no freaking idea that you didn't plan it that way. And that's the thing. They don't know what you planned and what you didn't. And so I would create one objective thing. I would say like maybe he finds maybe he's looking around the cell so he does a perception check and he finds a loose brick okay and in that loose brick he finds something that could help him get out maybe maybe it's some lock picks he doesn't know how to use maybe it's a freaking potion of like reduced cell for some bullcrap right something is in there somebody previously was stocking up stuff so maybe you give him an objective answer but if he doesn't find it right then just go with what he tries you know that's a way to do it or you could just not let him go with what he tries have him go to the gallows you know what i mean and have it call it a day you could do that if you wanted to that's also yeah. You could send him to the gallows. You could have a uh, dramatic Deus Ex Machina come on, and then oh, here's another adventure hook because now you're indebted to these people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I was going to say is let the players do the legwork. Yeah. In in a similar tone of things, uh, what I like to do is I like to listen to my players' conspiracy theories and choose the craziest one as what's actually happening. But you know, it's it's a cult classic, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could always do the classic thing where, you know, the freaking the warden or somebody comes and says, all right, you're a criminal. You're going to be killed. We're going to send you on some crazy mission to redeem yourself. That's a little cliched, but you could follow that if you need to, you know. Well, I mean, cliches are fine. It's how you use sure. them. Yeah. Or you could start it like Skyrim and as they're getting oh, ready yeah. to be heading, yeah. here's a dragon attack. Yep. And hey, this is my <laughs> chance. Let's run. There yeah. you go. All right. So moving on to the next bit of news uh, for the day. So, uh, Due to this article, and I will we will share it after the show, uh, so it's easily accessible. Uh, article came out on the fourth, so six days ago. Uh, basically, yeah, the day after last week's show, where I was very certain in my own head that there would not be 
a new settings book coming out because There's a new settings book, yay! New settings, yeah. We're gonna talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's just uh here. Let me double check my notes here. Yeah, Jake and I just looked like complete fools because one, we didn't know our audio didn't work till forty minutes in. And then we were completely wrong about the uh, book. And then we were way off. Uh, so Nathan Stewart uh, was asked during the stream of Many Eyes uh, what's coming up in 2019. Because um, the conjecture that we had uh, last week about the new announced uh, adventure, Waterdeep, or Dragon Heist, and uh, Which Mad Which has nothing Mage. to do with dragons, sadly. Yeah. And Mad <laughs> Mage. Uh, those were both announced, and so everybody thought that was it for the books for the year because there were supposed to be three books. Uh, but it turns out that the theory that those two were codenamed Broadway was correct. There is one more book planned for this year, and it is going to be a collection of settings. Uh, Paul, we do have the setting list. So uh, here is the list of settings that have been available that for could Dungeons potentially be. So, really quick, before we jump in to conjecture on what these are going to be, we have a couple of really good suspicions on what they're going to be. Uh, I should also say before we uh, throw those out there, uh, Nathan did also say in the article that uh, the plan is to do it kind of like the Curse of Strahd, the way uh, the Ravenloft war lore was done in the Curse of Strahd book. So it's going to be like just very – Punchy, just hitting all the notes of like, this is what the people are like. This is what this is like. This is what the land is like. This, these are why these people act this way. And it's it seems like because if you take Curse of Strahd and you uh, just cut out all the actual adventure stuff and just leave all the lore and the fluff, uh, it's about 50 pages. And so 200-page book, give or take a couple of stat blocks, a couple of things like that kind of seems in the cards. So when we were talking about this, um, there's there's – Two, I think, for me, that are gimmies. I'm pretty sure we're getting Eberron. I'm almost certain we're getting Eberron. Because everybody loves Eberron. And I'm pretty sure we're going to get Dark Sun because they've been hyping psionics lately on Twitter. Uh, Mike Merles especially, he's been, you know, I figured out the last piece of psionics, guys. I was doing yard work and it hit me (laughs) like a brick. So pretty sure we're going to get Dark Sun. Pretty sure we're going to get Eberron. Also, people have been harping for Dark Sun remakes for decades now. So. And uh, the uh, the the hot uh, the hot guess uh, as well because of things that Chris Perkins has been putting in adventures and alluding to, uh, alluding to is uh, Spelljammer. Yeah. There's a hell of a bring, setting. Bring it back. <laughs> Spelljammer is a hell of a drug. Uh, <laughs> Magic so. spaceships, give them to me. So uh, we took the. Uh, the time to politely look up how many official settings there were. And there are a lot that we, I didn't even know existed like blink and you missed them from the eighties and nineties. And I have never up to this point heard of Jakondor before. (laughs) This is, I've played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons is the very first time I've heard of Jakondor. I have not heard of that one. (laughs) So jumping in, uh, Luke, how do you feel? Cause you're the guest on the show today. How do you feel about a setting book, um, lore book actually too brings me to a question. I, uh, I just kind of skipped over during the interview, but how did you feel about the way a lot of the lore was done in Mordenkainen's? 
Yeah, so Mordenkainen's lore, like as so as a DM, I look at monster lore. That's my thing. I love monster lore. So Volo's guide to me, that lore was insanely awesome for make, making my campaigns. Mordenkainen's in this like you know the gith, the devils, the archmages. That was like awesome. I know one of you like skipped the gith because that's not part of your setting or something like that. Like in one of your podcasts, yeah. But like I'm I'm like reading the gith right now all the way through, and it's like that's pretty freaking sweet, you know. So I like Mordenkainen's lore, like. The, so the elves and the drow and the dwar- or the the dwarves and the halflings and gnomes. It's like you know I have like you know legal PDFs of that like lore that I can read too. You know, um, but like I mostly like the devils and stuff like and the gith. You know, they spent so, a lot of time yeah. talking about those. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think they, I, I'm, I'm the only one here that actually appreciates uh, they brought psionic back the blood races. War. Yeah, what are you talking Here's, about? I don't actually like. Look, look me in the eye and say that again. <laughs> you, you, you don't like psionics. Are you high? No, he's the one who loves oh, Sam. Yeah, you're Nacho. It, it's Nacho, like... leave the room. Go sit in the corner. <laughs> I'm the only person here who argued for mystics to actually be a thing. Yeah, me and Clint cornered Paul in a room for 30 minutes on an episode and told him psionics are bad and they should go to hell. Yeah, that, uh, that's why I got screwed up because I wasn't paying attention. I just heard everybody bashing on psionics, and it's like, okay, I'm alone yeah. here. Well, I mean, I turn, I, I basically run psionics as though it were like spellcasting. Yeah, because like there's so much in the game, like you have you have advantage on saving throws for spells, right? But what if it's a psionic and you don't get it? You know what I mean? So if you introduce psionics and its own special thing, it breaks, so to speak, a lot of things that protect you against spells. So I basically just consider it the same as spellcasting. Yeah, and that like satisfies my players and their magic items and crap. Yeah, what? God, what? Yeah, I've been viewing. Ep- Episode, I think episode 12 is where uh, we have the uh, the psionic debate, which is That's Paul using <laughs> using facts and emotion and, you know, facts and logic and uh-huh. well-written arguments at me just going, nah, uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. It's weird and I hate it. Uh, but no, I actually don't hate psionics that much. I'm comical. Uh, I'm really happy and also know that they brought back the Blood War and oh, yeah. Warnakai's yeah. Tome of Foes finally. So. <laughs> to get back to what we're but talking back about. back to the main thing. Uh, <laughs> are there way. any settings because, uh, I mean, everybody here at this table, we all you know run our own homebrew settings, uh, but is there any particular setting you would like to see them like Bring back, you know, put a new coat of paint on, you know, dust yeah. off some of the hinges. So I have always ever played in Forgotten Realms. I did a video game once that was in Eberron, and I didn't particularly like it a whole lot. But um, I think the Dark Sun one is the one that most intrigues me. I had a, I had a conversation with somebody on the Internet. I, I like having lots of conversations with people on the Internet. Um, lots of good points of view out there. And basically he was explaining that, like, this Dark Sun, half of it is, like, surviving and, like, finding food and water and all this bull crap. And, like, for some reason, like – Built into fifth edition, once you get like mo- all both of my groups are above tenth level. One's at like fifteen, others at seven, like twelve, seventeen, some crap. Um, they're so powerful, like they can just destroy the world. And the idea of Dark Sun that I think is cool is that like maybe a lot of that stuff doesn't exist, or like it's just trying to survive or something. I don't know. I've never played it. I have no idea what it's actually like, but it sounds intriguing. I did hear an actual play. Uh, show, actually, I believe it was the uh, Acquisitions Incorporated guys, yeah. but uh, uh, I want to say. Uh, Jerry was behind the DM seat and uh, they were playing Dark Sun and like they got through explaining who their characters were and then they all died in like 40 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> That's not unusual for and then, Dark Sun. Yeah, and then he had to do a, yeah, he had to do a scratch and it's like, okay, you're still alive because people are listening to this. <laughs> Dark Sun is post-apocalyptic. Dungeons yeah. and Dragons is the best way I'd describe it. The thing, of course, is that uh, the p- thing people usually bring out is you can just cast great food and water, but it doesn't work like that in Dark Sun because if you cast any magic at all, you drain the life out of the land and it turns mm. into desert. 
So oh, nice. people hate spellcasters. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So we've got three front runners though for uh, what's probably going to be in the book. Paul, let's go through the list. It's a big one, but I can. Uh, start you know what? You actually, uh, sitting off camera today is our friend David, just hanging out in the studio. David, could you uh, pass us that bell? Because it's time, Paul. All right, here we go. Should I include all the ones that are even just one shots from the eighties? Uh, yeah, we're gonna do it. We're we're, we're gonna let's uh let's put some Vegas bet nods on some of these boys. All right, let's do it. Uh, let me. I'm getting the list up just so I can keep up with you. Yeah. Okay. I'm giving, you, I'm giving you time to steal yourself, maybe take a drink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what's, the, what's the goal here? Like, what are we doing with this? We're list? just listing out all of the possible things it could be. We're going to list ev- – because these are all the officially owned yeah. Dungeons yeah, I'm, and Dragons settings. I'm going to drop Forgotten Realms because it's already been released. And... Yep. Yep. Forgotten Realms is the official setting of 5 Yeah. So going down the timeline, Blackmore, the very first setting. I would be astonished if that came back. Me too. Greyhawk. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's overdone, right? Yeah, it, it, it's overdone, but they used it it, it's also just one of those it, things where it's like, Greyhawk, you know what? If you don't have it, somebody should probably. Then you should have it. Well, yeah. And Greyhawk is Gary, uh, Gary Gygax's mm-hmm. own setting. And I think nobody really wants to mess with it now that Gary's gone. So it's just, you know, kind of leave it how it is. What? I, 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 I wouldn't. See it as a creature comfort. I would, I would. Simultaneously, not be surprised either way if it either came back or did not. But they do have in a lot of the books they have Greyhawk like options along with Dragonlance yeah. and other things. But we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, Mistara, never heard of that one. I've heard literally of it, but... in my life. Yeah, uh, this is the first time I've heard of that one. Somebody's gonna roast me in the comments as a result. <laughs> but we got Ra- we already got Ravenloft and Strahd, so we can skip that. Pelinor, also Pelinor. never heard of that one. <laughs> I'm really showing my my weakness here. Dragonlance. Heard of that one? Not a huge fan. I'm definitely going to get roasted for that one. That said, I would actually bet that Dragonlance could very well be one of the ones getting released because it has a very large fan base. Yeah. yeah. Large fan base. I'm yeah. not familiar with it. All right. Uh, jumping down to 1986, we got Kara Tour. Uh, I've heard of that. I've That's- heard of it, but I don't know. I think that's part of the Forgotten yeah, Realms Yeah, it is. Our tour is like the eastern setting yeah, or whatever, Forgotten Realms. It's like a, I think it's like a, sort of like a, what do you want to call it, oriental type thing, right? It was in Oriental Adventures, I'm yeah. remembering now, which is a book that I would like to forget about. <laughs> One of the most accidentally racist books of all time. Oh. Uh, let's see. Then we got Spelljammer, which we believe is going to be in. Digging the Bell, because I can. Uh, we got Dark Zone, which we yeah. believe is going to be in. al Never heard of it, but I'm also pretty sure it's part of Forgotten Realms. Al-Qadim, actually, I can answer this one. Al-Qadim is uh, it's a setting that is based on the Arabian Nights. Yeah. And that is where uh, one of my favorite monsters in all of D&D, the Zaratan, the giant turtle island. Oh, yeah. One of the best stat blocks. I love that thing. Love that thing so much. All right. On to the next one. We've got Thunder Rift. I've heard of this one. It was an alternate... Like starter setting for new DMs. It yeah, did not get out of second edition. Is this similar to the spell Thunderwave by any chance? <laughs> not <laughs> How even about a Thunderdome. 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 If only. <laughs> Thunderdome. Uh, no, I do. I, I'm going to put the idea of Thunder Rift coming back. Like it's it's a supreme long shot, but I, maybe there's enough people with like 90s nostalgia who wanted to come back. We started DMing in the 90s who might want it back. Yeah, but I'm. 
I'm still it's pretty far down the uh, list for me. Uh, we got Birthright. Birthright and Council of Worms are both incredibly unknown because they barely exist. They barely exist, but they each have like maybe half of one book they to are them. There. Weren't there some like video games like in the 80s about Birthright or something or am I thinking of something else? Uh, Birthright actually was in uh, Neverwinter Nights module, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay, but okay. That's all I remember about it. So. Okay. Yeah, and Council of Worms had a bunch of really interesting rules for uh, uh, dragons, half dragons, and that's when a lot of that stuff was presented as official. Yeah, material. and I'm pretty sure that got dropped like a hot potato the second came out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, let's see. That brings us to Planescape. Planescape is another strong contender, I think, for the uh, I'd like setting to see that's coming back. Planescape is fantastic. It's got one of the best D&D games of all time set in it. It introduced the concept of the Blood War. It's got Sigil. You name it. And importantly, Mordenkainen's obviously does reference the planes a lot in a lot of like very loose, like just like little, you know, uh, in some of the flavor text, like some of the things Mordenkainen writes himself. So that one, it's either that one could be the fourth one or it's going to be on the outside looking in. In my opinion, that's that's my guess. This is all this is all conjecture, folks. Uh, this is a conjecture hour. Bear with us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jackendor. Again, this is the very first time I've ever heard of this setting. Ever. Hang on. I'm going I'm to pull this bad boy up. We're going to pick somebody's name and put door on the end of it. Make it sound. I, I, it, it's possible. Yeah. It's very like, possible. Like we'll have Paul and door. Uh, like was the dude's name the wife Eleanor? And he's like, all right, let's make a campaign setting. Hey, we're going to ship ourselves. And then to Paul answer the question that all of us who are supposed to know a lot of stuff about <laughs> D&D now all have as to what the hell Jack and door is. Jack and door released in 1998 is a self-contained campaign arena con- con- uh, conceived by Jeff Grubb, who he's got a blue name on Wikipedia, which which means legit. We should know him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jack Nor is an island divided between the native uh, – I'm not even going to attempt to say that uh, – <laughs> a civilization that makes heavy use Charanti? of magic. Yeah. Charanti? Caranti? Chianti? Fava beans? Caranti. There you go. Uh, and the Nor. Yeah. <laughs> a civilization that makes heavy use of magic, especially necromancy, and the Nor. Barbarians who despise the vile practice of magic and have been driven from a faraway homeland to Jack Endor. It was released in three books uh, for AD&D. So, boom. Now we know what Jack Endor is. Actually, sounds pretty cool. I mean, I know I recognize the name Jeff Grubb. I just don't know who he is. That, that's something, right? So, gonna, I, we, we can't keep going down the rabbit hole of Jack Endor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that rabbit we have, goes too deep. I already I already wrote what we're going to talk about on the show on the thing. We can't well, deviate from next the Next we have Rokugan, which was a slightly less racist take on Oriental Adventures. Yeah, it's just a – it is – It became its own game. Where Yeah, so. where uh, Oriental Adventures was just put everything Asian into a blender. Uh, I mean – It was done with Rokugan too, but instead of just running it at high speed, they just hit pulse a couple of times and got something nice. And it was mostly Japan, um, to be honest. Rokugan, Dark Horse. Rokugan's a dark horse. It's, no, it's not coming back, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Because it's owned by the Legend of the Five Rings people who are not working for – They are not working. Aspect. We'd have to check the copyright on that. I know they recently got bought out by a different company that isn't Hasbro. So. Okay. All right. Well, then, yeah, that definitely ain't happening. Uh, Dragon Fist. Uh, <laughs> I hear that's also another Asian setting, but uh, – I don't know anything about it beyond that. I think it would make a cool thrash metal band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Fist. Dragon Fist. Uh, Mahasapara. Mah- Never heard Is of that, that another one. Arabian Nights one? Uh, Southeast Asian. Mm. Interesting. Huh. I'm wrong. It was part of the Oriental Adventures book. Samson, I, that was way off. Uh, 
And then we've got Ghost Walk. I feel like a chump. I have no idea what that is either. Well, <laughs> we're learning a lot of things today. Yeah, everybody's learning a lot about each like other. It should today. be like a dance move or something, right? Yeah, I know. Here, let's pull up Ghost Walk. Uh, it, 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 isn't that a summoner spell in League of Legends? I'm, yeah, I think so, actually. <laughs> Ghost or, Walk is or, no, it's called uh, Spirit Walk. Ghost Walk is a single campaign book. The central locale for Ghost Walk setting is a city called Manifest, a mausoleum city built atop a geological feature known as the Well of Souls, a gathering place for ghosts, unique as a place in which ghosts can cross over to the realm of the living. The campaign is no longer officially supported. Just like 90% of these things. Yeah. <laughs> so we can ring the bell on that one. Not coming back. Okay. Um, Eberron. We talked about Eberron. We're getting Eberron. We're getting Eberron. It's happening. It's happening. Everybody stay calm. It's happening. Um, and last but not least, Nentir Vale. That was the uh, generic setting for 4th edition, which isn't yeah. coming back because, unfortunately, Wizards is trying their best to forget all the lessons that 4th edition taught them. <laughs> Vicious but accurate. So, and then that brings us to the last bit of random conjecture we can do. Do you think they're just going to make something new? I believe I speculated – in the drive here that they're probably going to have at least one of them be an entirely new setting uh, because they can't just keep releasing things that are the same as other things they've done over and over again. And also as writers, they probably don't want to rehash something that was done in the eighties and never since. So they got to get at least a little bit of original writing in. Fair enough. Yeah. After running through the list and seeing how many that none of us knew about spicy take, we're going to get, Jacondor, Dragon Fist, <laughs> Ghost Walk, and something new. Uh, what was the uh, Thunder Wave? Thunder, thunder, thunder yeah. Rift, Thunder Dragon rift. Fist, yeah. Jackendor. I think they're probably gonna, that they're actually probably... does sound like a banging thrash metal show. Yeah. <laughs> how, how to name your work band? They're probably going to do about like four of them that they know that people will like. They have a large fan base, right? Because at the end of the day, they're a company, right? So they need they need to sell books, right? Yeah, and that's cool. That's legitimate, right? But maybe, like you said, maybe just one that's new to see if see if it picks up, see if people like it, right? Give something new to people out there. Maybe you know, so you're kind of satisfying everybody. Everybody who has a favorite something they might like, right? Maybe four of them and then one new or something, you know? And maybe also as a way to legitimize all of the press that's saying new, right? As opposed to rehashed. Yeah, although I know many people who would literally fist fight somebody if it got them Dark Sun back, so. What if if they're all new? They're all new. If they're all new, that'd be interesting, but I'd be a little disappointed. Bold. Because we only have like one official update for 5th edition that's Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Uh, It'd be a really bold move. All right, so. Uh, before we put the kibosh on this topic, let's go around the table. So I think uh, we're all roughly in agreement that we're probably going to get Dark Sun, Eberron, and Spelljammer. Those seem to be uh, just the way everything's been written and the way like things are getting added. I would also consider Forgotten um, – oh, sorry, Dragonlance in the place of Spelljammer. But okay. it's Well, here's the, here's the three uh, – Options that it would appear that we really have for uh, what's going to be included in this book. Uh, we either got Planescape, we've got Dragonlance, or we got something new. Uh, so let's just go around the table, give a final take on what you think they're going to do. We'll start with Nacho. I think probably Dragonlance, just with uh, how the books have all been selling pretty good. They have very big following on it. And when's the last time it got used as an official setting? 
Uh, it was third the, edition. I'm pretty sure. No, uh, yeah, last time it was used was third edition. But yeah, it was the very first written expressly for the use as a campaign setting, not just like the way Greyhawk, which was released, which was Gary just being like, "Here's everything I got." Yeah, so that makes put it, it in a book old enough to where like it, it would feel like a classic and feel comfortable to uh, people that have been playing for a while, but still new enough that. People know it, unlike a lot of the other stuff we didn't know because we're terrible. Yeah. Ghost Walk. Oof. <laughs> to be fair, though, Ghost Walk, actually. It does sound It sounds really cool. cool. I'd read that book. Uh, all right. Paul? Planescape. And it's going to be a hot take. Um, there's a lot of talk about the Gith and the Blood War in this book, and those yeah. are two fairly major features in Planescape. Yep. So I think it's not unreasonable that, like we said, we were talking about uh, – uh, Spelljammer has the spacefaring hippos that appeared. Yeah, the in, GIF. The, yeah, that's not going to get confusing. The GIF as opposed to the GIF. Uh, I think the fact that they spent at least 100 pages talking about central plot elements to Planescape is a good indication that Planescape is, has at least been considered. Yeah. So I think that's probably going to be one of the ones. All right. Luke? I think they're probably going to go with something obscure, either one of the obscure things you guys mentioned or they're going to make something new, right? Um, just to just to throw something out there, maybe for a little bit of hype, maybe make a little bit of talk, maybe just to get a reaction or something. So um, maybe something new, maybe it's one of those obscure things. That's my bet. Okay. Thunder Rift. <laughs> Thunder Wave. <laughs> Dragon Fist. I'm, I'm going to be saying that all day. Uh, yeah, no, if I ever make an orc bard. That'll be my band name. <laughs> <laughs> no, that does sound like such a bang and thrash lineup, though. Uh, yeah, no, my guess is I'm going to go with Paul on this one. I'm going to go with Planescape. But they do have um, – with their design team and stuff, they do have like a lot of uh, – they've been hiring a lot of new people. they got a lot of fresh blood on. So uh, for me, it's either Planescape, but I'm also – you know, like I'm, I'm getting as close as I can to hedging my bets, especially after looking like an idiot after last week. Uh it would not shock me, though, if they did put out something new, just, you know, as long as it was, like, fresh enough and, like, gave us completely different views because that's kind of how Eberron turned everything on its head because it was just way different than dudes in armor hitting stuff. Uh, you know, it was – Generic French fantasy, basically. Yeah, and, it you know, Eberron was – Eberron's weird <laughs> and it's a fun weird. And so I think if they come up with a fun weird again, uh, we would see something new. But other than that, pretty sure we're going to get Planescape. So – with that out of the way, we should talk more about Eberron. Yeah. Because guess what we've got next? We've got it's to talk the thing about that everyone remembers about Eberron. It's the Fine. robots from the robot war. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, fellers. The magical robots. Before we go into Warforged, really quick, we've got about 10 minutes left or we can have 40 minutes left. How does everybody feel? I think we could probably stand to go 10 minutes if only because we've gone over a couple times. All so, right. uh, But whatever everybody else decides to do, I'll go along with. All right. We'll just do the Warforged. We'll yeah. call it a day. Well, let's just wing it. Yeah. <laughs> it always works out. So, Nacho, you're actually the one who brought this to our attention. I woke up uh, someday in the middle of the week last week and it was like four or no, it was about it, five. It was about five o'clock in the morning. I got back from work. I'm sitting there cooking food and it's like, you know what? I have nothing better to do than bump your mic now and where did I write it down? And there you browse go. Facebook and – I found this really nice Warforged homebrew by Joseph Cameron Allen. He posted on the uh, 5e page. Uh, we can post a link to that post afterwards. Uh, well, yeah, we'll share the uh, – well, I'll just share the uh, 
his actual work and make sure he like we say his name every five seconds so yeah. he gets all the proper credit. Because uh, I'm a little, he made this really well. I'm a little – isn't there a UA for Warforged? There, there was. In 2015, they uh, they made uh, stuff you want to see but we're not going to give you for a long time. <laughs> or it had another name but that's how I always think of that one in my head. And I'm going to be gentle but that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> the Warforged as presented in that Unearthed Arcana was hot garbage. Uh, it's basically it like there is other than the fact that you were a Warforged and Warforged are cool. And I guess we should take a second for anybody listening going what in the actual hell is a Warforged. Warforged are from the Eberron setting. They are living constructs made of metal and trees and they have sentience. They were made for a war a long time ago and now they're just like, well, we ain't fighting. So I guess I make I guess I make bread now. Yep, I'm a baker. <laughs> they're weird. They're interesting. They're one of the best parts of the uh Ebron setting. Yeah. And they're I've always I've always loved them. Like the first time I, I realized like that's a thing. It also sweet. In third edition, it made for some wacky combos, like how disguise self can turn you into any creature of your creature type and animate op, animate objects are a construct. So <laughs> you could disguise yourself into an end table. Become a transformer. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh but yeah, so in twenty fifteen they came out with a Warforged under Darkana. Other than the fact that you were a Warforged, uh it was a pretty bad stat block uh, and it didn't really capture the spirit people. Yeah. It didn't really capture the spirit of it. Now though, now that uh, people have been putting out more stuff and like a couple ideas on like more, especially sub race stuff. uh, There's actually some really good presentable ideas here. So Nacho, I'll let you go back to taking the lead on this one. Yeah. So once again, this was homebrewed by Joseph Cameron Allen for his campaign setting. So the basic, every Warforged has this, uh, you get plus two to your constitution. Yeah, that's, that's classic. Yep. Warforged. If my phone can stop acting up. Age, just stay in good repair. Makes sense. You're a construct. Then for alignment, they're saying that most of them are lawful neutral because they are they are machines. Yep. Robots. Uh, your speed is 30 feet. So standard. standard. You're a living construct. That's so a big one. So you're immune mm-hmm. to you're immune to disease. You don't need to eat or breathe, but you can ingest food and drink if you want. Instead of sleeping, you enter an inactive state for four hours each day. You are considered unconscious for the duration, but you return to consciousness after you take damage. The four hour duration ends, or a command phrase you choose is spoken where you could hear it if you were conscious. So, if someone's sixty feet away and Let's say your activation phrase is watermelon. They just shout out, watermelon, watermelon. <laughs> There's owlbear. Now you see. They'll wake <laughs> up. <laughs> now, Nacho, you know what the worst part is? Is I know at some point you might use this in my game, and I know your reactivation word is just going to be annoying. Now, see, you got to choose. You got to choose your own name. It's going to be fire. Phrase. <laughs> you know, whenever I create a magic item or something with an activation name, I always put it in Spanish and then laugh as my players try to pronounce it. It's awesome. <laughs> I think we've all been there. But <laughs> uh, continue, Nacho. Yep. So then, uh, iron shell. So when you're not wearing armor, you have a natural AC of 13 plus your Dex modifier. See, that which seems is, a bit high to me. It's but the it's, same as yeah. the lizard folk. Yeah, it's the exact same which as is what lizard folk. Something have I found out the, during the. Uh, throughout the comments because someone was saying it was way too high 
Oh, I thought, no, it, it seems right because you can get up to 18, so it's still not as good as the uh, Monk or Barbarian unarmored. And then someone pointed out, no, that's the same as Lizard Folk. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, poison immunity, you're immune to poison damage and the poison condition. Once again, you're a robot. I would yeah. have rolled that into Living Construct myself. Yep. yep. But it, it's there. It's probably just because poison tends to get used differently, so yeah, just to make sure people don't miss it. Uh, for languages, you speak, read, and write binary, common, and one other language of your choice. Binary, classic. I'm not sure if the binary was supposed to be a joke or yeah. if they actually <laughs> use binary in their campaign because he did brew it for his campaign. Mm-hmm. Or if that's like a common language that Warforged have. Right? I don't think it is in um, in Eberron because I know right. that specifically they are made to serve with humans. So right, right. giving them their own separate language seemed uh, – so it, it could be. <laughs> I don't know. I do now love the idea, though, of Warforged just sitting there and opening its mouth and just like one zero zero one one zero zero one zero zero. Yeah. I'll, 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 if I do this, I'll actually pull up the binary and I will speak the numbers. I will burn that book. So help me God. <laughs> okay, and then for the uh, sub races or uh, archetypes varieties, you could say uh, laborer and. I really like the uh, flavor text for each of these. Labor, double-banded gears and titanium nuts make a capable cargo manager. Your strength score increases by one, and then powerful build. You count as one size larger when determining your carrying capacity and the weight you can push, drag, or lift. Sentry, uh, magnified optical and sonic systems incorporated into the shell create a perfect surveiller. Your wisdom increases by one, and then keen sensors. You have proficiency in the perception skill. That seems way too good. <laughs> and then for Explorer, electrically enhanced servos and insulated solar shell form an unstoppable messenger. Your dexterity score increases by one and then adaptive plating. You're adapted to extreme heat, extreme cold, and frigid water as described in Chapter 5 of the DMG. Uh, like making my comments in the uh, comment section, the creator has talked to me and he's thought about throwing a dex-based skill in there – uh, I threw out there maybe you could use something for uh, – Acrobatics maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I tossed out acrobatics or something to help with uh, getting through difficult terrain since I don't see extreme temperatures used that often. I'm no. not sure how many people do. No, I think it would be mostly irrelevant honestly. Yeah. Until they bring back cold snap as a it, setting. Well, it <laughs> yeah, it does depend on you know it depends on table to table because I do know some DMs who just absolutely adore like the it you know it's snowing out which means it's ten degrees out which means you're freezing exhaustion like there you know there are some DMs who love that stuff and you know there's me I'm like it's cold out and if you guys died of snow being cold well this is gonna be really dumb. Um, this is not dramatically appropriate. But but each game uses each game Each game uses, you know, however they want to do it. Your table, your rules. And that's where it basically sits. So let's start with uh, Luke. Thoughts, feelings. Yep. Um, also, too, didn't really ask you. How do you feel about homebrew? What is homebrew? your – Like this sort of thing. So whenever I look at homebrew and whenever one of my players brings homebrew to me, I always look through it through the lens of game balance, right? Yeah. And I compare it with existing things, right? In my opinion, the majority of homebrew that I've laid my eyes on – tends to be way overpowered, right? And it just needs to be brought down a notch or two. So, like, I like it, you know, contributing to the game and stuff like that. I usually, I like to tend to stick to the core books myself because there's enough out there. And homebrew, the more you, more splat books, the more options you add on, the more 
opportunities for crazy builds that just break stuff. You know what I mean? So again, I'm getting Vietnam flashbacks. I'm, I'm level one. <laughs> I deal eighty damage around. Yeah. yeah. Woof. No, you gotta say that for level two, Nacho. Yeah. Uh, so thoughts and feelings on this particular Warforged homebrew. So you're immune to disease, which doesn't come up a whole lot. Immune to poison. So I once made the mistake of giving one of my players a amulet that made her immune to poison. And then amazingly, like tons of monsters that do poison damage. Eh, you're nothing. I'm just killing you. No big deal. You know, so that's situational, sure. But that's something to take consideration. Disease, poison. Now, I would be interested to see how my players would take the whole, you know, you don't have to eat, breathe. You know, the sleep is like, you know, like a... It's the standard elvish sleep yeah. thing. You know, so. so I would be I would be interested to see how my players would take those things and come up with interesting ways to like use them to their advantage. You know what I mean? So because um, that's a possibility there. The armor thing. So I mean, I think uh, a sorcerer, the dra- draconic bloodline of a sorcerer, gets that armor class thing, right? Obviously, you got monks and barbarians and stuff, but like, and then yeah, and then in Volos, we've got lizard folk who also have the thirteen, and then in yeah. Xanathar's, they added a particular racial feat that uh, dragon can take that also gives them uh, the 13 AC naturally. Yeah, yeah see, spending a feat on it, it's not really worth it. But You, you know, know what, what I'm seeing, though, in the newer books that are coming out, they're progressively getting more powerful stuff that they're coming out with, like, Xanathars or something. Elven accuracy? Okay. So some of these things are coming out with. So I tend to like to compare it to the core ones because I'm seeing some things. It's like, how did that get into there? Power creep. Yeah, exactly. And so um, – but this is like a race, right? As a race, you get this. Some of the other ones, it's part of your class that you get it. Yeah. So maybe not super unbalanced. You know what I mean? Yeah. If lizard folk can do it, then you know, well, everybody should be able to. Yeah. Absolutely. And then if you want to, let's Play say you a max out your tribesman. Yeah. And if you're not playing a deck based class, if you want to take advantage of that armor class, you'll have to actually invest in it. So you have that balance there. If you want to go higher, then you're buying enchanted plate. Yeah, sure. Yeah, which I mean, lizard folk as monks are actually terrifying because of that natural AC. Like they're just, I mean, it's a kung fu lizard. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's uh, continue, Luke. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, no, that's wrong. Um, language binary. I don't know what that is. Um, so laborer, sentry, and explorer. So that's kind of interesting, right? They're almost building this race up, like from a. The standpoint of like we were made for war and then now we're in peacetime and what do we do type of thing. So I think that's a really interesting like flavor to add to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I kind of like that. That's pretty cool. So yeah, um, like I said, the the powerful build like it depends on how much you actually use that in your game. Like I can't remember the last time I looked up pushing and pulling weights. Carrying I can't remember the last time I used encumbrance rules, dude. My players carry around like fifty million pounds of gold every single day with them. Yeah, gold's heavy. <laughs> yeah, you know, like well, that and you know, it's like my my bandage on everything is just so I don't even have to worry about it. Like I'm guilty of this. It's just like if you're carrying enough stuff, you're encumbered. Now we're not going to calculate your carrying. Yeah, capacity. like I just. I usually just my players always magically end up with a couple of bags of holding pretty early on, so yep, we don't have to do go. that headache. The only time pushing and pulling ever really comes up is somebody like, "Can I push this over to push it on a thing?" And it's like, okay, we actually have to do the math really quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. look it up. Yeah. Or if you're like a strength eight weakling, you're not going to get around carrying sixty pounds of stuff. But again, yeah. that falls under just use common sense rules. So I mean, if I were to compare this to something like the half elf, which I think is a, a really powerful race, yeah, right? yeah I'd, I'd yeah, probably I mean, go. It's, it's the second. Probably it's the second most powerful. Um, yeah, I'd say second most powerful because variant human eclipses everything. Oh else yeah, in the oh game yeah, with the feet. Oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I think I mean, 
I don't see anything that super stands out as being like way OP, you know? Um, but I think with any homebrew, I would always tell my players, you know, it looks okay. We'll play it at the table for a few sessions, see how it goes. I might come back and ask you to change a few things. You know what I mean? So Yeah. Sentry. Uh, any feelings, thoughts and feelings on Sentry? Sentry. They do have so, the automatic profici- profici- profi- proficiency. Pro- Thank you. Keyword. Perception. I, I don't mind that because elves get that, you know, and then half elves get like t- two additional perception. Yeah, things, two free skills. Two free skills, right. That doesn't bother me. You know, what I, what I like about these things, though, is that one sub race is a strength, one is a wisdom, and one is a dex, right? Yeah. Everybody does well with plus two to con. And yeah. so this gives you lots of con options. Con is the universal you know? stat. So, I mean, I like it, you know. Makes sense to me. And, yep. And then we have the explore bit thoughts and feelings on that. I mean, I think that's the only one that seems kind of weak is just the adaptive yeah. uh, plating, but that's only because I really don't mess with the heating and cooling rules too much. Yeah, but if you were running it in Dark Sun, right, or Planescape, where you're going to like the nine hells yeah. and stuff, Dar- uh, you know, Warfarest in Dark Sun would completely wreck the setting because you don't right. need to eat or drink at all. And you don't need to worry <laughs> right. Why are you guys complaining? <laughs> we haven't had bread in a week, huh? That sounds, that sounds terrible. Uh, <laughs> I eat bread because it's fun. You don't need <laughs> yeah. to eat. Uh, <laughs> I will simply eat large amounts of it to torment you. Uh, all right. So, yeah. So, obviously, I adore this thing. Uh, just giving my thoughts and feelings on it really quick. Uh, it's It falls in line in terms of the uh, racial balance scale. It falls in line yeah. pretty well. I think it's balanced. It doesn't – yeah, it doesn't clown anybody. Uh, the only – thing I would really goof with is I'd actually bump Iron Shell up to 14. But that's just me being me. That's a spicy take over there. Yeah, I know, right? Like, it's, you know, Taco Bell mild sauce here uh, in terms of spicy takes. Uh, That and, because, I mean, the best part of, you know, Warforge is, like, sure, they're immune to poison, but, like, the second that that rust monster comes crawling out, you've never seen a robot run so quick. Nope, 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 See, I'm remembering when you guys were saying about diseases that I remember the last two monsters I've used both had disease-based attacks, the Otug and mummies. Yeah. And it's like, diseases are that uncommon? Really? I use them all the time, but... Yeah. No, it's... I think it's... I mean, there's a couple others, but not many other monsters. There's a slot, I think, that has a disease thing. I I, I think they just kind of sneak that in there, and most of us just don't even realize. Um... Yeah, for lycanthropy is a disease. Uh, popping through no, laborer. Well, it's a curse, actually. Is it? I think. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's a curse. curse. Yeah, like mm. a, yeah, yeah, it is. Huh? You can have a robot werewolf. Oh <laughs> man, there's some class build options right there. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Frightening. Uh, let's see. Popping through uh, laborer strength. I do. I agree with Luke a lot on the. Uh, I love this sub race thing. They're starting to do more of like uh, giving us more options for tieflings in. Mordenkainen's, and then like they did a bit in Volos and stuff, and so now we're getting like different subtypes for everything. Is a really good idea. Um, Powerful build. Everybody has powerful build. I would have liked to seen like a more unique ability than powerful build, but it still makes sense um, because everybody and their mama has powerful build. Goliaths, Minotaurs, Centaurs. Powerful. See that ability name gives me. More Vietnam flashbacks in <laughs> third edition because that ability was so busted. Right. Sentry, oh. uh, I'm cool with them getting free perception. Um, and yeah, I mean, we just agree on the adaptive plating thing. Like, I think there is something else that could go there. I can't think of something off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but I think there could be something 
a bit better. Maybe um, you know, maybe a stealth check thing. Or I was going to say advantage on on athletics. Yeah, my first thought was survival. Then it's Paul. Nope, that's not a deck skill. Our resident uh, commander contrarian. Here we go. Again, the tell word us I how you know. feel. Tell us how you really feel, Paul. Ironically, I don't dislike it. I think that perhaps a plus two constitution bonus, while fitting for Warforged, is too universally applicable to perhaps be balanced because mm-hmm. every single race in the game wants constitution. I know dwarves have it too, but mountain dwarves are already one of the strongest races in the game. Yep. And I think it's fine. Uh, I do think it completely negates the po- probabilities of like the possibility of having a survival adventure if you have a Warforged in your party. Yeah. So that becomes less of an issue, shall we say? And it's so specific to certain settings that I'm not sure I'd be able to use it in mine. Yeah. I, I have them lumped in. Well, first of all, that's the first time Paul just hasn't gone off on anything that we've brought on the show. Wow. I'm a little stunned Here, right can, now. Can we get a uh, double bell ring for that? Yeah. High praise on my end. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Nacho, what is, the, what is the person who made this? It is uh, Joseph Cameron Allen. Uh, congratulations. Uh, you've won a – we'll make a plaque or something because, yeah, I've never seen Paul just be, it's good. Doesn't need anything. Well, Minor, okay. I will add oh, one thing. Here we go. I think powerful builds – outside of the name, I hate the name because it gives me horrible flashbacks. But I think the ability is just not very useful. I think it does not have any good uses in most campaign settings. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, but no major complaints from Paul. That, yeah, no major matters. complaints. Just kind of nitpicks. Yeah, you uh, successfully won life. Yeah. That's oh, not true. Sometimes uh, I defend things and you guys are hating on them. Psionics can burn in a dark pit in hell. All right. <laughs> so we've gone full circle, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, Luke, thank you for coming to the studio. Yeah, we've had a absolutely. wonderful time. Uh, please go ahead and plug everything you want to. All right, YouTube forward slash thedmlayer.com. So that's DM layer as in like a dragon layer where you like, you know, a L-A-I-R. dragon lives. L-A-I-R, right, the DM layer. So you can check that on YouTube videos. I do a video every week. I, I do two videos a week. I put out Tuesdays is my, like my DM advice, stuff like that. And then on Fridays, I do like actual plays. I don't know how entertaining the actual plays are to spectators, right, because it's a bunch of us playing like real D&D. We're not like, you know, freaking – professional voice actors and stuff like that you know what i'm saying but it's proof that i actually play the game you know and maybe somebody out there actually watches that crap you know so tune in um hit me up in like i have a discord and crap out there that's all linked on my channel so uh, my goal is to help dms right and so if you're a dm especially especially a new dm who just needs advice needs a community to support him needs somebody to just like answer questions and crap like that you know that's kind of what i do so i am that's my goal so yeah there we go yep so yep check out luke at dm lair uh, There's a space in between DM and layer on the YouTube, by the way. Yep. So be aware uh, of that. We're, we'll link a bunch yes. of stuff in uh, on the Facebook and on the show uh, to go find his stuff. Uh, next week, we are going to have uh, – we're actually – I'm really excited for next week's guest. We're going to have uh, the gentleman who made the Pokemon conversions for 5e, both the Kanto and Johto Pokedex. <laughs> and they're actually – no, it's great because at first I'm like, oh, these are so fun and oh, they're great. But then it's like an Onyx is – actually terrifying um so we're gonna have him on the show uh we're gonna talk about warlord some more uh because it's paul's favorite thing and 
it ain't far off from being one of mine either. And um, it's a good class. I just remembered that I really don't want Dragonlance to show up in the new book because that means we're going to get fucking Kender. All right, everybody. Thanks for for watching the show. No Dragonlance. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, I'm Jake. I'm Nacho. I'm Paul. And I'm Luke. And uh, thanks for hanging out. Have a good week. Roll well. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. So why does everybody hate Kender? Like, I've never played Kender. Oh, oh, if only we could. Here we go. He's taking his glasses off. Well, I should take his stuff back. So, <laughs> let, let, let's wait until we're. Actually- so, oh no, no, no! Put, put them all back on. Put oh, them all back oh, here on. we go. Here we go. Hang on. <laughs> okay. We're, that ending. Alarm. That ending was a false alarm. False so, alarm. Paul. Kender. Yeah. Why? I, let I let the rage out. So in Dragonlands, <laughs> they don't have halflings. They have Kender. And Kender are everything bad about halflings, ma- uh, magnified by about a billion times. They're annoying, thieving little shits that don't see anything wrong with taking your stuff whenever they feel like it. Because, oh, I'm just borrowing it. And the entire books are written as if Kender are some precious jewel of the world that must be protected rather than just jerks that nobody should like. And apparently killing a Kender is one of the most evil acts you can commit in the setting. And they go so far up to hype this race of kleptomaniac assholes <laughs> who should honestly have been exterminated like a hundred years ago uh, because nobody should like them. Yeah. If you play a Kender the way that the lore puts it, then you're just setting up the, it's what my character would do. Yeah, yeah. what my character would do. It's also so your character's a jackass? Yeah, they are genetically programmed. They are chaotic neutral as a race, which is the worst thing you can say. To just steal, (laughs) they steal from you and they just go, oh, no, I was just borrowing it. I just didn't tell you about it. And I I had no intentions of giving it back. It's funny you guys talk about this. I have a player, I think, who would love playing a Kender. And I would have to have several side conversations with him about, no, not in my games. Yeah. Yeah, no, we we have one that, uh, when we were doing a one-shot, it took him four hours of him stealing a royal banner from an orth from a dwarf stronghold, wearing it like a head wrap, running away from the guards, just being a complete and utter shit. It finally got executed. If, if, <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah, you know what? We're scrapping the one, one shot. Kender. So if he played a Kender, it would be a million times worse. Okay, there- this time for real, the show is over. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>